Hey, I want to just echo what Jerry said and thank you for your giving. And I want you to know that your giving pays for all the ministry that happens here at Genesis Church. Like there's no secret pool of money somewhere that helps fund what we do, what you guys give every week, whether you give online or through the app, or if you use the envelopes in your seat back, or if you write a check every week, however you decide to do that. Uh, thank you for that. There's, uh, you know, we have 13 staff here that get to feed their families and have electricity in their house because you guys do that. And so my family and I, we personally thank you for your gifts as well. We're starting a brand new series today called Here to There, and I have to tell you that I did not sleep very well last night because I had a dream that I got up here and I had the wrong notes, that I had my notes from week two, that all week I had been working on week two of the sermon, and I came up here with week one, and or I came up here for week one, and I didn't have anything to say because all my notes were from week two, and um, you guys were uh, not as generous to me in my dream <laughs> Because I said, well, since I don't have my notes, I guess what is going to be best for us anyway is what if I preach a five-minute sermon and then we spend 25 minutes praying? And um, people started getting up and leaving. And so I don't know what that means, but I do know one thing. It means that I have become increasingly dependent on my notes uh, to make sure that there's quality content here every Sunday. And I looked at that and I thought about all the places in our life where we are increasingly dependent upon something to make sure that something gets done. And in most cases in our life, I think it's technology, right? We've become so dependent on technology in some areas of our life. And the example that I thought of this week was uh, I saw a study and it reminded me that we are not good as a society anymore at remembering phone numbers. Have you thought about that? How many phone numbers do you know by heart? I mean, do you know? The study I saw said that the average person uh, a generation ago, well, before cell phones, could, had 24 phone numbers memorized, and the number today is eight. And I think eight is high, because I went and asked our staff this week, I, I said basically, hey, if I brought you a home phone, assuming that you could figure out how to work it, <laughs> if I brought you a home phone and told you, you had to call, it's an emergency, you have to call as many people as you know, how many people could you call? You know what the average answer with our staff was? Three. <laughs> Close. Three. And, and my answer was three. I could call my wife, and I could call my two daughters. Now, I have to tell you, when I called my first daughter's phone number, I don't, I don't know which one would answer. I know both of their numbers, but I don't know which one belongs to whom, you know? <laughs> so I could call both my daughters, no problem, and I could call my wife. I know three phone numbers. I mean, think about it. They're, now, this is not just us getting dumber. This is not a generational thing. This is not saying that millennials are not as smart as baby boomers or Gen Z is not as smart as Gen X. This is, there's an actual scientific name for this. It's called digital amnesia. And it's basically we become so reliant on technology that we forget how to do certain simple things. And so it's not just phone numbers. We use technology for a lot of things in our lives, right? We, we've, we've forgotten how to do math because most of us have a calculator with us wherever we go, right? Uh, many of us don't write letters anymore. We've forgotten how to write letters because it's so much quicker and easier to send a text, right? I mean, when was the last time you bought a stamp? You know, I remember uh, not too many years ago when the post office would raise the price of a stamp a penny or two cents, and people would, it would be, there'd be outrage because I can't believe they're going to charge that much for a stamp. Does anybody know how much a stamp costs today? 50 cents? I don't know. How much is it? Yeah, we don't, we don't know. Um, and, and then the other place that that really comes into play is with directions, we don't really ask, nobody asks for directions anymore, right? And uh, we all use Google Maps or maybe Apple Maps. Anybody use Apple Maps? No, probably not because you're here this morning. You actually made it, <laughs> you know, where you were going. <laughs> right, think about it. When was the last time that you were asking somebody for directions and they said, well, I know what road it's on, but I just don't know what the road's called, right? Or, or 
I know how to get there, but I don't know that I can help you get there, right? We use technology for figuring out how to get from here to there. But no matter what system we use for directions, there are two things we always have to know when we're trying to get someplace, right? We have to know, what's one? We have to know where we're going, right? Where is there? And we have to know, what's the other one? We have to know where we are, right? We have to know where is here. If we're gonna get from here to there, we have to know where is here and where is there. And I think we all know the tension in being here and wanting to be over there, right? Now let's, let's drop the idea of physical directions and think about different areas in our lives where we are here and we want to be there. Think about it from a, from a fitness perspective. Maybe right now from a fitness perspective, you're here, but you really wanna be there. Maybe for you, uh, it's a career path. And in your career path, I'm over here right now, and I really wanna be over there. But I know that there's probably a lot of work that I have to do, and I'm gonna, there's gonna be some extra hours and some late nights, and maybe there's gonna be some extra education, but I really wanna be there. Or maybe for you, it's a college or a school you wanna get into. But you know that that's gonna mean I gotta work on my grades. I gotta do well on my standardized tests. And so you're here, but you wanna be there. Maybe here to there represents a relationship for you. Maybe it's your marriage. Like, I just feel like our marriage right now, we're here, but I see those couples that have a great marriage and I really wanna be there. Or maybe you're not married now and, and there represents wedding day. And I'm, I'm here now. And I know there's gonna be some work and I know there's gonna be probably some heartache, but I really wanna be there, right? And for many of us, the same thing is true when it comes to our finances. Because when it comes to money, for many of us, here is worried, Right? We're here and we're unsatisfied. We're here and we're frustrated. And there would be a place where we're fulfilled, where we have satisfaction and significance in our finances, right? We all know what it's like to be here and wanna be there. And we believe, as we go through this series, we believe over the next few weeks, we're gonna be able to look into God's word and see what it means in our area of finances and money, what it means to go from here to there. Now, maybe you've never thought about the fact that God cares about how you spend, how you make, how you give your money. But I've got to tell you that if you look through Scripture, you can't avoid it. The Bible is filled with advice, instruction, and warnings about money. And so for this series, uh, we're going to look at that. In fact, 15%, fully 15% of what Jesus talked about was about money. And so if you're new to all this, or if you're not a question, the the, or if you're not a Christian, the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, why does this matter? Could, could this stuff be true? And if it is, what difference could it make in my life? Because as Christians and as a church, uh, we want to do our best to follow Jesus in all areas of our lives. We, we believe he has a plan for each of us, that he wants what's best for us, and he wants us to have a greater impact in this world. And so our goal in this series is that we would understand that no matter where we are on our journey from here to there, because we're all on this journey, right? We're on this journey from here to there. And our goal in this series is that no matter where we are on this journey, we would understand that there's another step for us to take on this journey from here to there. And my prayer throughout this next few weeks and my prayer over the past week has been that God would find us obedient to that call, to that next step. And so we're gonna to start today in 1 Timothy chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Timothy six. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be these blue ones on the floor around you. It's page 831 in that Bible, 1 Timothy 
is near the end of your Bible. It's near the end of the New Testament. And 1 Timothy is a letter written by a man named Paul, who's one of the great fathers of our Christian faith. And he's writing to one of his disciples or one of his apprentices, a man by the name of Timothy. And this is the first of two letters we have from Paul to Timothy. And Paul, if you don't know, started out as an opponent to Christianity. He was a a persecutor of Christians, but then he eventually found Jesus, surrendered his life and his work to Jesus, and he became um, kind of one of the first missionaries, one of the greatest church planners we've ever seen. He went out and started new churches all over the known world at the time. And his disciple, Timothy, was an important part, a leader in one of those churches that Paul helped plant, a church in a place called Ephesus. And so Paul is using this letter, 1 Timothy, to help Timothy help the people in that church become more like Jesus. That's what he's writing about. He wants to help the people in the church get from here to there in all areas of their life. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy 6.17. Remember, he's writing these words to Timothy to instruct to his church, to instruct to Christians, all right? So he says, he says this, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, before we go further and see what Paul's going to command Timothy to command people, uh, what we need to know about Ephesus is this. Ephesus was a very cosmopolitan place. It was a, a wealthy city. It was a thriving port city. And while not every person in the city may have been rich, may have considered themselves rich, the reality of Ephesus was compared to the rest of the world, they were rich. And I think... Um, we can look at the same thing in Hamilton County and at this area of the United States. Before we go on, I have a feeling that some of you may want to check out because you go, well, I'm not rich, so this verse isn't really for me. Uh, But before you do that, before you disqualify yourself from this entire sermon, because I think there's good stuff in here, I do have the right notes, and so I think there's good stuff in here. Before you disqualify yourself, I found a website this week called globalrichlist.com. And in globalrichlist.com, what you can do is you can actually enter your annual income into the website, and it will tell you where you fall uh, as far as the world's richest people. And so what you need to know is that the median household income in Hamilton County is $92,000 a year. Now, median means exactly half of Hamilton County makes more than that, and exactly half makes less than that. And so if you were $92,000 average income in Hamilton County, that puts us in the top 0.9% of the richest people in the world. Top 0.9%. Look at all those people. That's 1,000 people up there, and there's you. And so that would mean if you made the average in Hamilton County, you are the 5 million-something richest person in the world. Now, that doesn't sound very high, right? There's 5 million people that make more money than you if you're the average person in Hamilton County, but that puts you in the top 0.09% of the wealthiest people in the world. And that, my friends, is ridiculously wealthy. In fact, what it means is if you were placed in a room with 1,000 people chosen randomly from all over the world, you would be the richest person in the room. So I think, in scriptural terms, we're rich, right? And I don't want to overlook the fact that some of us are struggling financially. I know that even in a place like Hamilton County, some of us struggle to make it week to week. And if you're struggling, we want to to, to know as a church, we want to come alongside you and help you with that. And so we're offering, uh, once again, a class called Financial Peace University. We do this uh, once or twice a year, and we've got one coming up starting on Tuesday, September 18th. It'll be Tuesday night at the Carmel Campus, 6.30 p.m. And if you want to know more about that, you can look on our website or on our app, and you can sign up right there. Um, It's going to be taught by a great couple in our church that just really has a heart for helping people um, get out of debt, stay out of debt, save money. 
and spend less. And so um, we're going to offer that to you. But here's what I'm saying about the, the passage we were reading. Rich doesn't mean Kylie Jenner rich, right? It, but by almost any measure, the top one-tenth of one percent would be considered rich. And so like the people in the church of Ephesus, rich means pretty much us, right? So what does Paul tell us? He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, Paul says, you can put your hope in money here, and here is uncertain, or you can put your hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. We, we can be here and put our hope in money, or we can be there and put our hope in God. He suggests that as we accumulate money, as we get more and more stuff, our tendency is going to be to put our hope in that stuff, to put our hope in that money. See, Paul understands that money has a tendency to have a lot of influence. Well, let me rephrase that. Paul understands that 2,000 years ago, money had a tendency to have a lot of influence. It's probably different now, right? I would, say, I would say it is different now. It's probably even worse now than it was 2,000 years ago. But he understands that we can be fooled into believing that the very thing that's gonna get us from here to there, if, if, if there is financial satisfaction and significance and here is worry and frustration, we can think, we can be fooled into thinking that the very thing that's gonna get us from here to there is more money, right? How much more? Well, just a little bit more probably. For most of us, if we, if we made 10% more than we made now, I think we could probably solve all of our money problems. We all think that way, right? So if we get from here to there, we think, well, maybe it's money. It's always just a little bit more. And so what we do is we misplace our hope. We put our hope in money instead of in God. We hope that money can bring security. There's a few ways we do this. We, we hope that money can bring security for us. We, we, we work and we work and we save and we hope to attain as much as possible so that one day we won't have to work or save anymore. We won't have to worry about money. We hope that money can bring us satisfaction. We spend and spend hoping that a nicer car or a better looking house or more clothes will bring us pleasure. And we also hope that money can bring us significance. We have this misplaced optimism that if we accumulate enough money, people will start to notice us and that we'll have importance, that we'll have some influence because of how much money we have. But the truth is that money can't bring that type of security or satisfaction or significance. Uh, it can't bring us what we desire or think we need. In fact, as much as we think money is the answer, the truth is that more money is never going to take us from here to there. And when Jesus talked about money, he had warnings for us. He warned that it can become like an idol. It can become like a master for it, that we can become a slave to money. And in his book uh, called Counterfeit Gods, author Tim Keller says this. He, says, he talks about this very problem. He says, money is one of the most common counterfeit gods there is. When it takes hold of your heart, it blinds you to what is happening it controls you through your anxieties and lusts, and it brings you to put it ahead of all other things. Now, you may think, that's not true for me. I'm not a slave to money. I just use money as a tool. But let me ask these questions. These are some questions you can use to test yourself. Have you ever put money in front of your family? One thing that might look like is if you and your spouse have an argument over money or you argue with your kids about money. Basically, in that moment, what you're saying is this amount of money is more important than my kids' feelings or my, my wife's feelings or my husband's feelings. Have you ever put money before your health? And this might look like uh, I'm not going to the doctor because I don't really want to spend that money or I'm not going to fill that prescription. I'm just going to take my chances. Are you putting your money ahead of your health? Have you ever put your money before your conscience? Like, 
you see something on TV, you hear something on the radio, you, you, you hear about something we talk about in church and you think, oh, I wanna, I wanna give to that, but then your mind starts to think, you've got this little voice in your head that says, but, but who's gonna take care of you? Like, if you give money away, who, who's gonna take care of your needs and, and your wants and your desires, right? I mean, if you don't hear anything else today, here's what I'd like you to hear. There's a God who loves you and cares about you. And he doesn't want you putting your hope in money. He has something greater for you. And so God doesn't want you settling for a life of fear or anxiety or greed. He doesn't want you over here. God wants you to be free from the hold that money has on you. No longer a slave to money. He wants you there. He wants you to be relieved of the pressure that we can feel. He wants you to be relieved of the stress of believing that money can take you there. The truth is that he wants you to feel secure, satisfied, and significant in him and not in how much money you have. That's why Paul says, but to put their hope in God. Tell them not to put their hope in money, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. So what does it mean to put your hope in God instead of money? Well, the answer might surprise you. Verse 18 says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And so Paul says, In fact, I'll say it this way. God inspired Paul to say, to tell Timothy, to tell the people, right? So we're getting this fourth hand from God. God inspired Paul to tell Timothy, to tell the people to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be willing to share. That the thing that's gonna move us from here to there when it comes to our money is generosity, is to being generous and willing to share. Now, wait a minute, that's crazy. if, If my problem is, I don't have enough money as it is. How is being generous and giving money away gonna help me move from here to there? I mean, if my problem is to get to there, I need to be able to solve my money problems. How is giving some of it away, uh, that's gonna mean just less money. Steve, I don't think you understand how math works. But that's not God's math. See, most of our problem with money isn't that we don't have enough. I'm not talking about everyone. I think there are some people that don't have enough money, but 90% of us, for 90% of us, our money problem isn't that we don't have enough. Our money problem is that we're afraid we won't have enough someday, right? And so if our problem is not a shortage of money, but it's fear of not having money, the God who loves you and takes care of you, well, he knows what generosity does in our heart and he knows what it'll do to our faith and he knows where it can take us. Is the God who split the sea gonna leave you hanging because you don't have enough money? No, our God richly provides everything for our enjoyment. So if we really wanna take God at his word, believing that generosity is the key, where do we begin? And I told you that for each of us on this step, on this journey, we've got another step to take. And today I wanna to talk to you, I wanna to talk to people especially who are not currently giving to Genesis Church. For some of you today, the first step is to what we are going to call being an initial giver. This means to give something to your home church. If that's not Genesis, if you're here visiting or whatever, I would encourage you to give something to your home church to help fund the ministry that happens in the church. And so many of you are already generous. Even if you're not giving to Genesis, you're giving somewhere. If you have a friend in need, you help them out. If you see a GoFundMe page that you believe in, you'll give to that. You, you hear a coworker talk about someone who's struggling and you contribute to that. You're, you're already giving something to help out. But this is about giving on purpose. It's about giving something back to God. 
And it doesn't necessarily mean giving a lot. It's about taking a first step. And so if you want to become an initial giver, I want to share three ways, uh, three steps, and these are in your notes uh, to become an initial giver. The first one is this, give first. The first thing we want to do is we want to practice giving first. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, says this. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The first fruits. Now, first fruits is kind of a, I mean, it's a word we only hear in the Bible, really. But it's a very simple word. We can understand the English meaning because it's, got, it's a compound word, right? For two words, first fruits. And in an agricultural society, the first fruits were the fruits that came, what? First, right? It was the part of the crop that you knew you had. And so the way this works, if you're a, if you're a farmer, you work all year for no money to create a harvest for your family, right? The only time as a farmer you get paid is when you harvest and sell that crop. And so the very first part of your crop is the most valuable because it's the part you know you have. It's the part that's in your arms, right? If you work all year long, uh, in an apple orchard, and the only time you get paid is when you sell those apples, the first basket of apples you take out of there is the first time you've gotten paid in a year, right? That's the most valuable basket of apples you will encounter all year long. And so the first fruits are the first and they're the most valuable. The second or third part of the harvest may not come. It may not grow. Might be destroyed by insects. Might be destroyed by fire. Might be inclement weather. You might not get a second or third part, but the first part you have in your hand. And so it's valuable. And so it's a real matter of trust in God to give that first part of your crop away. Well, today we can view each paycheck as a monthly harvest. And the temptation for all of us is to give or to, to, take, to give to me, to take care of my needs first and my family's need. And then maybe if there's any left over, then I'll give something back to God through my church or, 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 or give back to the work in this world. And, and, and what you're saying is, God, when you give your first fruits, you're saying, and God, I'm trusting you will provide for all of my needs. I'm not trusting me. I'm not trusting my employer to provide for my needs. I'm trusting you to provide for my needs. And so honoring God with our first fruits would be that we give back to God the first portion of what we earn each month or each week when we get paid. So how do I know which ones are the first fruits? Well, they're the first ones we give. It's the first check we write or the first online payment we make. And I just want to share with you quite transparently, this is what our family does. Many of you don't even know that we give to this church. We, we give uh, a tithe and above to this church. And in case you wonder, we give on a regular basis. So if you're on the host team and you come by and you stick that basket in my face and I just do this, it's not because I'm the pastor and I don't have to give. It's because we give online uh, on a regular basis. In fact, both my wife and I get paid on the 15th and the 30th of every month. And on the 16th and the 1st of every month, the very first payment that we make online is to Genesis Church. Um, that's, that's how we do it. We ought to deduct it from our account. We give first. So at this initial step in generosity, it's not, though, it's not about the amount given as much as it is about just getting every person on board, getting every person to take this step. And that's what Paul was trying to accomplish through Timothy for this church in Ephesus. And then to, again, forthhand, tell us too. He's saying every person on board, every person trusting God, every person seeing that there's a better way to live, that you don't have to be stuck over here in your money, that you can get there, that there is a way to get there. And that's what Paul is saying. He can get you from here to there by being generous. The second thing we do is we give consistently. So we don't just give first, we give consistently. 
If we truly want to grow in generosity, if we want to break free from the grip that money has on us, we have to come up with a plan for consistent giving, consistent growth. Think about it. It works the same way in every area of your life. If you want to learn the piano, you can't just sit down one time and play and think, hey, I got it. I think I got this figured out. Hey, Michael, can I be in the worship band? I played piano yesterday, right? Well, that would be ridiculous. We wouldn't think that. You got to be consistent, right? You got to practice consistently. If you want to learn a foreign language, you can't just pick up a book and read it cover to cover and go, okay, I got it. I'm going to go speak French. I'm going to move to France and Start a new life because I've read one book about it. No, you know, you got to practice, right? You got to be consistent about it. If you want to lose weight, you can't just go out to lunch today and say, I'm going to order the salad instead of the burger and then go to the gym for the first time in a month and think, hey, man, I'm in such good shape, right? If you're going to get from here to there, it's going to take consistency. We have to practice this consistently. In the same way, if we want to grow a generous heart, the act of consistently practicing giving back to God is going to be a big part of it. That's why we love recurring gifts. That's why my family decided to set up a recurring gift because they, we automatically practice giving consistently to the work God is doing through this church. So we give first, we give consistently, and the third thing we do is we give in a measurable way. Giving in a way that can be measured, which means you give online, you give through our app, if you give using a check, if it's got your address on it, or if you give and you fill out the envelope in the seat back when you give an offering, we measure that for you. We keep track of that for you. If you use any of these ways... Basically, any way that we can know who gave the gift, we provide you with regular updates on how much you've given. Twice a year in July and January, we send out written statements that show you how much you've given to Genesis Church. And then a couple of times, other times a year, we email updates and uh, help you measure what you give. Now, giving in a measurable way has a couple of advantages. First, you can go back and see how much you've given in past years. This has been really, really helpful for me. And I gotta tell you, in my walk with Christ, this has been incredible for me to see the growth. Um, I remember sitting in a church one time when a pastor talked about giving, and I never, I didn't grow up in church, so I never really heard about giving as a spiritual discipline. He talked about it just like he talked about prayer and Bible reading and journaling, that giving was a spiritual discipline. And I thought, okay, I'm, well, I'm gonna start giving something. And we didn't give much. We started giving just a little bit, but we wrote checks. And then we started getting statements from our church saying, this is how much you gave. And I started keeping track of that. And then the next year, you know, you get it, you get the statement and eventually you get enough that you can write it off on your taxes, right? Because you have to have so much to be able to deduct it. And we started doing that. And then one year, one year, uh, probably the best year I ever had financially, but I, we were part of a campaign at Genesis and we gave enough money and I got, I got into, uh, uh, what's the software? TurboTax at the end of the year. And I was doing my thing in TurboTax and I put in my charitable giving and TurboTax gave me a warning window and it said, this seems like a lot. Are you sure? And I went, yes. It was my favorite time. I love doing my taxes from then on because I got to see how much I gave. And then we could go back and we could look over year after year after year at how our giving has grown. I come from the corporate world. And in the corporate world, what gets measured gets improved. And when you give in a measurable way, you can go back and look and see what you've given and you can improve it year after year after year. The second advantage is it's tax deductible. So you can write that off on your taxes, which frees up more resources. So that's the challenge for you today. If you're not currently giving to the ministry of Genesis Church, I wanna encourage you, I wanna challenge you to give first, give consistently and give in a measurable way. Why? Not because God needs your money. God does not need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If God needed your money, let me tell you something. He would take it from you. He has that power. He has that ability. He doesn't need your money. But you know what he wants is he wants your heart. 
God wants to do something greater in each of us. He wants to grow our faith and our trust in him. And when we consistently practice giving, we open up the door for God to do things in our lives that we could never, ever, ever do on our own. And I have to tell you, as somebody who didn't grow up at church, someone who's not always been a pastor, somebody who spent 21 years in corporate America before I came into this life, I gotta tell you, I've seen it firsthand. I went to church for years before I ever gave a dime. And when I started giving, I did it with kind of a, are you sure? Are you sure that you're gonna do what's right with this, God? God, I think I know what to do with my money better than you do. Oh, did I actually think that? I don't think I ever said that, but I think I might have thought that. But when we started giving, God grew our hearts and now we love, it's our favorite thing to do. Now, here's the other thing. God doesn't just wanna do something in you. I believe he wants to do something in our church. Just like he wanted to move us from here to there, God wants to move our church from here to there too. I think we're in the process as a church, even after 15 years of moving from here to there. I was in a meeting this week with some of our staff and the conversation turned to what brought you to Genesis Church? Like what made you wanna come work here? And with uh, two or three people that were in this conversation, the refrain was, I just felt like God was up to something. I feel that, do you feel that? I feel that here. I feel like God is up to something, that that God is in the process of moving us from here to there. I love that. God is up to something at Genesis Church. And we're gonna celebrate 15 years in a few weeks, as Jerry said, not in November, but in September. We're gonna do it in September instead, where it's nice outside. Um, Can I just tell you that I believe the next 15 years are gonna be something really special. I believe the next 15 years, we're not sure what it looks like yet, but we're praying about it. We're thinking about, God, what does it mean to move from here to there as a church? I believe it has something to do with disciple making. It has something to do with prayer, something to do with partnerships with our ministries outside the walls of this church. And I believe it has something to do with generosity. And we know that God doesn't need our money that he wants our hearts. And if we let them, if we let him do it, the money for us as a church becomes kingdom resources that we can help even more people find their way back to God. And I just wanna show you a couple of examples from our kids and student ministries kind of as we wrap up here that, that I want you to know that your giving helps provide resources and materials needed to care for our kids and our students here at Genesis Church every week. We look back on our past and I remember Six years ago, moving into this building in this space with scary animals painted on the walls. If any of you were here, you probably remember that. And just about every square inch outside of this auditorium being used up for classroom space. And we moved in here, but because we believed that God was on the move, we all jumped in together and gave generously to make more space and better space to minister to our kids and our students. And if you've come just in the last couple of years, I want you to know that people before you have sacrificed to make this place what it is. You walked in here and maybe think it's always been like this, but it hasn't always been like this, that people that came before you sacrificed so that we could have this space, so that your kids could be back in Gen Kids, so that your students could come on Sunday nights and hang out with great leaders who are gonna teach them the Bible and invest in them. People have sacrificed so that you could be here. And now we're watching our ministries grow, our Gen Kids ministry and our student ministry, and we're just praying and asking God, like, what's this next season look like for Genesis? And how might we get there? A lot of people say that, Students and kids are the future of our church, but I don't think that's true. I I think they're the present of our church. They're here now, and students are being baptized at Genesis Church at a greater rate than adults. 
Like kids are coming forward and finding their way back to God and being baptized. And in many ways, the students are leading some areas of our ministry. Our students are leading all of our outreach efforts. We have more students participating in stuff that happens outside the walls of Genesis Church than we have adults. They're leading us. They're showing us the way. And we can help support them in that. Think about camps like Superstart and Spring Hill and Mix and Move. And these things don't happen apart from your generosity. And we've heard so many stories over the past few weeks just about Spring Hill camps and how uh, 25 kids made first-time commitments to Christ at Spring Hill camps. 25 kids, kids that are a part of this church that have said, I want my, yeah, I want, I want, I want to use my life to serve Jesus. And that doesn't happen outside your generosity. And what, could, what, what if we could set a goal to give in such a way that every kid in our church would have the opportunity to attend that camp, even if they couldn't afford it? What a great goal that would be. Every person giving, even if you're brand new at it, it not only opens the door to what God wants to do in your life moving from here to there, but it opens the door to what God wants to do at Genesis Church moving us from here to there. Generosity is not something that God wants from us. It's what he wants for us. Look at how Paul closes this section to Timothy in verse 619. He says, in this way, in what way? By doing good deeds, being generous, and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation in the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is what God wants for you and me, life that is truly life. I know that because that's the way Jesus said he came. John 10, 10, he said he came so that we could have life, life, abundant life, true life. That's what he wants for us. God is at work right now, restoring this world to the way he always hoped it would be. And there's a coming age where that's gonna be complete. But now, right now, we have the opportunity to join God in his amazing redemptive work here on earth by being generous. We have the opportunity to bring hope, to bring help and healing to people locally and globally so that more and more people will find their way back to God. And the only reason... The only reason we can choose to be generous is that God was generous first. God sent his best gift, his first gift, his only son, Jesus, so that we could be rescued. You might call Jesus the first fruits of God. I mean, think about this. Where would you be if God had held out on you? What if God had waited to see if he had a second son? What if if God only gave a tenth? but he didn't. He gave his one and only son. Jesus gave his whole life so that you and I could have a relationship with God. And since Jesus is our model, we're called to more generosity. When our lives and resources are part of something like that, like we can take hold of the life that is truly life. That's what God wants for you and me. A life that is secure and satisfying and significant. Not here, but there. And so if you're new on this generosity journey, take that first step, become an initial giver. And then join us next week as we continue to move from here to there. Let's pray together. God, I think for all of us, uh, we have some part of our lives that we want to move from here to there. We, we understand, we, we get the tension of what it means to be here when really we wanna be there. And in this area of money and finances, I think so many of us feel it more because it's, such an important part of our society and our our culture. And I know that money can be a tough subject for people because our hearts tend to gravitate toward it. We, we, We can see it, we can feel it, we can touch it, we know the results. And so God, I just ask that you would help break us of that, that you would help us to see that 
what this world has to offer, it's kind of cool, it's all right, but it's nothing compared to what Jesus gives us. And so help us to loosen our grip on the things of this world and desire your son above all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name.